Hi, I'm Suzanne. And I'm Peter. And we are Sex Advice for Seniors. And we are here today with Tessa Crone, whom I met a few months ago when I was on your podcast, The Open Nesters. And I think I was talking about my home sharing platform, if I remember correctly. But now we're talking about something quite different. And it's about polyamory, something that we are quite curious about. And yeah, you're, um, you know, the last time we had a discussion, you said to me, I'm in a polyamorous relationship. And I was curious to know how that worked. So, yeah. Well, Over this is a you. great topic for us because uh, we've been married, Amir and I, who is my partner both in the podcast and in life. 33 years. Wow. We're together 33, married 32, but going on 33. And I can tell you half of it, we realized, and I could give you the backstory and the intro story, but we realized that through just exploration, both of us had some different sexual preferences. And emotionally, as I grew into myself, I had different needs. And, and, and we didn't actually make a conscious search for other people. We kind of fell into a a swinger situation that I mean I can give you that whole story if you want but what I want to say is is that we address this topic of ethical non-monogamy um, and open relating especially at this age I mean you know after 50 mm-hmm. after 60 not too many people know or do it so it's kind of pockets of people all over and it's hard to find communities like millennials have found around ethical non-monogamy so we love addressing this topic we do on our podcast quite often it's many of our interviews so I'm very happy to talk about our story or however you'd like to ask the framing this. So I'll ask you what you'd like to hear first. Yeah. So my background is that I was involved in the swinging scene in my 40s for almost 10 years, and I was not polyamorous. I I find it difficult enough to make attachments, emotional attachments with one person, never mind multiple people. <laughs> my, That's my, true. Yeah, and he can he can attest to that. And my yeah, and my desire to do that was purely driven by my sex um, drive and my desire to have lots of adventure, which that scene uh, definitely was all about for me. And for Peter, well, you can talk about your own circumstance if you'd like. Well, uh, you know, I've, I've dabbled here and there with with things, but I'm not. I, I haven't had nearly the same experiences that um, Suzanne has and you have, obviously. Um, but it's it's been something that I've always been really interested in and I've never been a great fan of monogamy. Um, and uh, I really want to find out how it works for you in terms of the usual things that people are worried about, which is jealousy and and you know those those sorts good. Of I issues. figured we should get right to that because the backstory, first of all, is on our podcast. We have full episodes on our story. You know, people can find about our, our open love and hear our whole backstory. But specifically about and to answer your questions, jealousy, and many people have not heard this word, which is my one of my very favorite words, and that now now is compersion. And compersion actually can be expended to everything in the way we relate to other people in our lives, platonic or otherwise, because it's being happy for someone else's happiness. Mm. And so it's overcoming whatever emotions you're feeling and not saying they don't exist. 
So I also teach mindfulness. I do a lot of workshops on play and sensuality and sexuality. And the idea of being in our bodies requires us to say, how am I feeling about this? Is it okay? Not just good or bad, but is it okay for me to allow for this? Where are my boundaries around it? What do I need to communicate clearly in order to feel my needs are being met and that I feel safe and that I also feel like I can explore the side of myself that I want to open up to? So, you know, we've had, you know, hiccups and bumps and this has been a wild ride. And yet, I mean, to be able to beat it together for 33 years, half of it as ethically non-monogamous has been just a growing experience for us. And it's brought us closer in so many ways because you need to open up topics that you would not, would not, or you sometimes go past a boundary that you didn't realize. And then you have to kind of regress and then talk about it again. So we've done it and we have, I can't even say it's been one style throughout. It's been evolving. And um, so my husband, Amir, is much more interested in the past 10 years or so. in explo- And he was introduced to it because of a couple we were dating together. And she was very kinky. And he started getting into more BDSM. And he and I were much more tantric and sensual. And so it opened up that idea that they're all things are possible. And how do we then, that's when we started saying we can even do separate relationships and really develop those even more so. Even if it became, for me, I've been with the same man other than my husband for 15 years, for 14, more than 15 years now. And only once a month, but we communicate weekly and we always have either a great overnight or a full day together. And it's it's emotionally filling because he fulfills a side of me that's this wild nature girl. And my husband is not. He just doesn't like hiking and beaches and outdoor. So I'm kind of kinky because I like outdoor sex too. So, so we find like public places and, and I have this ability to explore that with him as well as that I'm on a dating site called field. And I've been very lucky because I have, I don't know. I just feel like you put in the unit, you put out in the universe. If it's a genuine um, call, if you if you really believe that you are aligned in your mind and body, your call for someone comes much more easily, even through technology. And so I've met a few other men that I'm dating that are just delightful human beings in different ways. They're unique. And I get to see other sides of myself and witness another side of myself. So from my point of view, it can't be for everyone because you have to come from secure attachment. Mm. And that's a, a term we talk about on the open nesters as well. The idea that, I don't know if you know about it from the psychologist's point of view, but even when we're very little, we actually allow for, you, you see a, a, ch- a child that's not getting the attention and it has this anxious attachment because they're always wanting more or, or they react by just saying, I don't need anybody. And that's why so much of our emotional relationship is so messed up. So I'm not stating it in the three levels that it is. There are so many things about it. There's a new book called Polysecure, and I don't have her name right here, Polysecure. And she writes about attachment theory in a grand way about um, through polyamory and attachment. And it just teaches us about attachment in general and so many more understandable, graspable styles of it. I just tell you that my husband and I are both from families of four. We're both the oldest. Our our parents stayed together. We got the attention we needed, maybe especially as the oldest. And so we don't have that need for, I mean, not that I don't need attention. We all have needs. And, Mm. And on some level, I wasn't getting enough attention in some of the ways I wanted. And so I, 
even if you feel jealousy, which we have felt, both of us at different stages, we are able to compartmentalize it in order to say, but she's so, he's so happy. She's so happy doing this. I come back more full of love for him. And mm. so that embodiment that allows me to grow, and I teach other women to do that as well. I got my master's in mindfulness and sexuality, and I teach other women embodiment for that for themselves. So when you know yourself better, you know what your needs are. You know what to ask for. You don't have to demand it. You can put it out there and see what feels right. So for me, it's been a really beautiful, continuous journey of opening. Wow. I think it's amazing. I mean, one of the things I was curious to know is, um, did this need to, or this, you know, want to, to meet other people? Was it simultaneous or was it that one person said, I, like you're like Amir, I want to do this. And you said, uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, and, A lot of and people I do go through that, that, that conscious community, like that discussion. I, we didn't have that. So it's not oh. our, our, our our story was that my friend was a swinger in Florida and we ended up just being brought to a swinger club by kind of by accident. I mean, she she and I liked to sexy dance anyway. She's like, you'll come with us to our favorite club. And then they were into the whole orgy scene in the back and we were like, women were taking off my clothes on the dance floor and it was the most sexy thing I'd ever felt. Like this whole sensual aliveness awoken me after I had had three kids. So the open nesters is about this stage of life when your kids are grown but that was, you know, 16 years ago. And it awoke, it just, we were awakened sexually again, even mm. for each other. So we realized, wow, there's something here. And so we, yes, it was a, it was still a pull and push. It wasn't exactly simultaneously how we felt about it. So he, he violated a boundary the first, one of the first times we were dating some couples and we were like, let's just play soft. We'll just get to know some couples and do a soft swing. And then he all of a sudden is having sex. So I was like, okay, they have to reel back. And what are we doing? So that could happen. You ha the question is, do you have trust in order to realize where you have to readjust? And that was just on the sexual side. I mean, about the emotional piece, he obviously, if I'm feeling that I am in love with someone else, which I am, that has a whole nother dimension of sometimes I was losing myself in that and I had to just separate from him. We, we actually separated for six months so that I could compartmentalize my, my, and I don't like to do that with my emotions. I'm very emotional. But once I, once we actually did that and I realized that we had to not see each other as often and send each other poetry every day and, 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 and pour so much flame on that love, we still have it there and we nurture it more in, in a more contained way. Now, for some people in the polyamorous community, they can live with the extent of, so it's a big spectrum. Some people live in a poly village, literally two people raising kids with a third, uh, and then and then adjunct people of metamors coming in, and they have a whole family of loving and loving adults, and that's a poly kind of village, uh, community. So we're not quite on that side of the spectrum. We're very primary in our relationship to make sure that we work first, um, one of my super, my supervisor for my master's, Dr. Tammy Nelson, writes a book called Open Monogamy. We have something more called Open Monogamy, which mm -hmm. is interesting. So we don't say we're monogamous. We call ourselves open. But there's this whole, I mean, we have friends that are in a polypod, and they call themselves four-way life partners. People work <laughs> out all, it's a lot to communicate. The question is what you're, how, 
if you're willing to open the Pandora box, and I will tell people that it doesn't mean when people keep it closed in monogamy, it's safer unless they're having affairs. And then that's bullshit because then that's just, you know, cheating anyway. Mm. And, and that's where marriages end. People think if they don't, I love working through with my committed partner, what we want to, who we want to be together, how we can look at the future together. So we're able to, to really communicate deeply enough to love each other enough to offer each other that, which is the kind of the sixth love language, offer each other space, mm. space to be who we both want to be while we grow together. <laughs> but um, is there not the fear somewhere in the back of your mind that uh, all of these different arrangements will lead to the breakup of your of your primary relationship? Or do you, you know think what? life that... is a risk? There's no promise. There's yeah. no promises. Although I will say that there was a time when I was telling you I got lost in this man, and I think he and he considered and said to me he would be ready to leave his wife. Right. I didn't feel that. I felt. Always. I never had a, an, a, a, an iota of doubt that, that Amir would be my life partner and I wanted to grow old with him. I can't say everybody feels that way. I know that we'll work through whatever comes up. So, of course, there's, uh, it's scary. There's scary when you open your heart in life, when you take risks in life. Nothing is guaranteed. But to me, that's the, the life I want to live. I don't want to live a life that is safe all the time. We, have, we need a certain amount of security, what works for us in our boundaries, what works for us in our bodies, what works for us if we've had trauma. Many people have experienced things that they, they, wouldn't, they need someone that they can rely on, especially sexually or even and emotionally. I would say when people have very deep emotional platonic relationships, it can be just as um, scary. It can mm. be just as scary. That's so who, who, who's to say? Who's to say what exactly is going to work? It's not one path. There's never one path. I, I, I heard this friendship podcast yesterday because we're going to do a series on friendship on the Open Nesters. And they were talking about what is a platonic relationship. And it comes from Plato. And it actually is about transcending the physical. Mm. And it's not just transcending the physical. Like we think of all platonic, platonic, but it actually can be above. And so there could be emotional relationships that could be threatening. So it really depends on how much you want to give each other space and communicate about giving each other intellectual growth, intellectually growth, adventure-wise, people that have similar DNA to travel, people that have similar DNA to try being in a marathon. I know people who have trained in being in triathletes, one of our couples, um, the the three couples about their passions, one of our first episodes, she was a triathlete and he's, he's like a, you know, just a dude that likes to have coffee and not in good shape. And she's with these hot guys that are much younger than her and they have to their own communication to do and they're monogamous. So I'm, I'm just saying there's not one way. It's how you work out as different as each of us are, as different as each of our organs are, as different as each of our cellular composition is, is how every relationship works. It's, it needs to be worked out consciously. Yeah, I think that's, for me, that's the most important thing. And it's, the, as you said before, it's about it's about setting the boundaries, um, which sometimes in your own head, maybe you don't know where, how strong those boundaries are. And then they get pushed a little bit. And then you think, 
oh, no, I'm not feeling so comfortable around that now. That's certainly been my experience. But also, I'm used to being in situations where often I'm the third. So I'm not necessarily the primary. I'm more often than not the person who's the one that's the playmate person. Um, and somebody's either in a relationship where the partner has been allowed them to step out and say, you know, a bit like your husband, oh, she doesn't like, I don't really like BDSM, but she likes BDSM. So yeah, just go off and do that kind of stuff with her. So I've often been that person where for me, there's not much emotional investment in that relationship. I'm literally just turning up, delivering the goods in the way that makes me happy, in the way that makes the other person happy, and then going off into my situation. So, you know, for me, every time I've seen my friends um, that are really Uh, you know, really want to make these polyamorous relationships work. What I've noticed is that there always seems to be some degree of tension. If, for instance, if you're in a committed couple and you're with someone else who's in a committed couple and you're both having, you know, some sort of relationship together, but essentially you're in the same kind of dynamic and you're meeting in a in that place where the other partner on either side is perhaps not that interested, or there's, like you said, there's some mutual interest that's not being met, some need that's not being met, and you come together to satisfy that particular need, whatever that happens to be. For me, there's, I always see problems where a couple is involved, where one person or both people are involved with essentially single people, And there seems to be some degree of tension around this, you know, could be an aspect of jealousy that the single person feels about the person that's in the couple and maybe a subconscious desire for that person ultimately to want to leave, you know, and to have you, have you found that? What, what are the dynamics that you're involved in? Are they there? Are they varied or what are they? I would say for us, uh, it's so clear that we never had that because I went through feeling like I was, I had fallen in love and it was with somebody else I was seeing by myself. So since we got through that for us, mm. I don't think that's an issue, but I, I have heard it in the poly, in, in polyamorous world as well as in any kind of world that people just, people, you know, fall in love and, or a, the, a single person that for another person is there, that connection becomes stronger and, and then they have to refigure it out, negotiate it, leave the marriage, decide, is it going to be something that, that you can give equal time to? I don't think I would be able to completely give equal time to someone else in our relationship. Mm. But that actually, I would never say never. I will never say never because I don't, I think that we don't know ourselves completely until we continue to evolve and open as a journey instead of looking at it as, a, you know, ending. So I, there is jealousy. I would say that the few women that uh, that that Amir's been with that for like some for five six years, and I've been able to communicate with them, and they've been the ones that are sensitive to me, knowing that I'm the I'm his priority. So right. I don't think we've ever had that issue, even if they have had deep feelings for each other, because they started out by getting to know me. We usually we welcome people into our lives anyway as friends, so we get to know each other's people in our lives pretty well, really well, and mm-hmm. appreciate and value them. So when there's appreciation and value at whatever level, you're not dealing with this unknown or this person that's just doing it in this on the sly or just at a BDSM club that's trying to lure you every week. Or so that was that's 
it just hasn't been an issue for us personally. Um, and, and BDSM is interesting because it actually involves a lot more consent. I only learned over the last number of years than many other things do. You know, people go to bars all the time for pickups and there's no good communication. And, yeah. and here is like clear communication about my, whether my boundaries. And so that helps someone be able to have clear communication. I mean, emotionally, some people have a really hard time communicating their needs and boundaries. It is a continuous journey. And I am somebody who never has had trouble with that. So I continue to evolve that way. And I see a lot of people stuck. And I hope they'll do the work to to whether see a therapist or a coach and do some of the kind of work, even around mindfulness, to really know themselves, embodiment, to really know their emotions. Because when you know yourself, you can communicate more clearly. Do you think that changes with age at all? Do you do you find that older people are more stuck than perhaps younger people? I mean, there's been. I a actually don't. I don't know change. that. I think that that's true. I think it depends on what what you what you term the word stuck. So, if we're only going to go with the status quo programming of something that we were told we have to do, go to college, do a certain kind of job, be a certain kind of wife or mother and we're and we're stuck in that paradigm that can happen at all ages Uh, and as we get older I think real maturity and wisdom is not about age I think I mean I think people slow down when they get wiser and they their perceptions widen so Mm. that wider perception can add wisdom it doesn't always add communication tools we still have to learn those and so that requires an investment of how will I communicate really well with with my friends, with my kids. I mean, I came out to my kids. I mean, that's another question you might want to ask, but I was the one that did it because Amir wouldn't have done that. And it's my communication skills to know and sense when they became adults, when was the right time for each of them individually? I didn't make it as a big announcement. I, I, I felt out what they were ready for at different times. And that was for them very respectful. And they were really inspired by that. So they're inspired that we're together and that we love each other more and that we can have both. Diff- they're ha- they know that we're going on dates now. It's very adorable. Like they're fine. They're like, Oh, okay. You're seeing all three. You're seeing this one. I mean, they're like, kind of know. They even know one of them, the women that, that, it, that Amir's dated for six years has been at our, you know, holiday parties and they've met her. And, you know, they've met my, my youngest son has actually met the, my love and lover too. So, but they don't, they haven't hung out with them and gotten close with them. Yeah. In some cases, like a poly village, people do. So there's a huge spectrum on ethical non-monogamy and open relationships that there are many books about, you know. So so designer relationships teaches you all the basics of all the different choices. A book called Designer Relationships is amazing, too. And we discuss a lot of this on our podcast. I think that's, you know, what I've noticed and that what people find a bit exhausting, I, I suspect, because my my last, our last podcast I did on my own talking about ethical non-monogamy and, you know, and all of this. And people find it quite exhausting because I suspect that the level of communication that goes on in these sorts of relationships is by and large not the level of communication that goes on in a kind of traditional monogamous relationship, which for me is a shame because I think all relationships need a high level of communication to just keep going and keep evolving and keep being interesting for each other because otherwise it's very interesting, you know, and I know from my own first marriage, you know, you just get into a rut and then, 
and then you you kind of shut down and then you just think, oh, this isn't worth it. I'm not going to have this conversation. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. And so you just exist in this bubble of unhappiness for a while until you can't take it anymore. And then you eventually leave and go, oh, I'm really dissatisfied now. That was really crap. You know, sorry about that. I'm not really happy. But I noticed that, you know, when you make the decision to not be monogamous, it's almost like you start out from this point of view, whether you're poly or swinging or doing other sort of alternative lifestyles, you sort of start off from this view of saying, we're going to need to talk a lot about this, you know? So Mm -hmm. are you open to that? Because if that's a problem for you, this is probably not going to work, right? Because there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to come up. And I don't even know myself what's going to happen in all of this. But I'm kind of curious to know what's going to happen. And some of it is a bit like, eh! but you know, you, like you say, you, you, you kind of work through it. You go on that journey to discover things. But I think, you know, my, my feeling is that these sorts of relationships need more communication than usual. I would, I, I would say that that's true. And and the idea that we're getting older, and I mean, I I hate the 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 concept of dementia. So here you are talking about seniors, but that that I have noticed my 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 dad's friend's wife had Alzheimer's. He started dating somebody else. They had never communicated earlier enough about it. He had to go through a lot of guilt about how to deal with that. And I just think that when you are clear, like going through the fact that as you get older, how much you love each other and want the other to have the full life. And we often don't do it. There's so much explicit communication around finance and kids and things and education. And it's there's not about sex and sexual needs. And that's no. the first thing one needs to start talking to about. Mm. And the second is 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 about our you know emotional needs, which is as well. So if giving space for deep friendships and making sure that you have the time to come back to each other with intentional time, like spending the time that says we need, we want to give each other the best we can of each other while we're here. And if, you know, people make arrangements when they have to have medical care, this is what I want you to do for me. It needs to be, could be done around love and other things as well. So even if it's just getting you to say, we need to communicate more consciously I hope that this conversation opens that up for you because I do believe that that's a necessary way to grow older in any form of relationship that becomes partnership that's not even a marriage, but any form of 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 depend of partnership that has dependency as part of it that we depend on one another. Yeah, I, I noticed that you said that you were in your mid fifties and that you started opening up your relationship sixteen years ago. So I'm assuming that you were like I'm actually your, like, sixty. And it happened when we were 40, I was 44, 3, 4. Right. So so that was when I went through my big journey of discovery as well was my 40s, which was like the big, I'm going to really go for this. And I do think that I don't, you know, as a woman in my 40s, I couldn't have chosen, I think, a better time to do that because I had the emotional maturity, the ability to separate what was going on in a way that I could never have done in my twenties. Like just, I was nowhere near mature enough at that age to be able to handle the multiple relationships I was having, the different kinds of relationships I was having. Do you think there is something about that, you know, that midlife that kind of, it can be a trigger for people 
especially women, to consider other possibilities when it comes to their relationships. Well, if you read Sex at Dawn, it's a bit, it's such a basic read for anyone. I mean, it's a pretty heavy book, but it's incredible. That teaches you that women are meant to be, they're physical. Like, just think about how many women like different kinds of clothes. They, they like novelty. So if women are in touch with that, they usually want to try new things. And if they haven't explored it, all of a sudden that shutdown is like, oh, I'm like 40s. Like, yeah, that's actually, I don't think I actually experienced that because it happened so kind of organically for us. Uh, I would say, though, what's interesting and what has shifted, and it's only my lover that's pointed this out to me more because he sees me less often, is that I've slowed down as I've become 60. Like I was like hot, trot, hot, trot, hot, trot, hot, trot, hot, trot. And he put his hand down my pants. I would have an orgasm. It was like as soon as I saw him. And now he's like, kind of. I kind of love that we're soft and slow and we feel each other. We know each other so deeply now. But I miss that I used to be able to do that with you. <laughs> and yeah. it's like okay, it's okay that I can be older and have different requests and different different desires and have you go with me on that because we continue to have some level of new relationship energy, which is what's in polyamory, which infuses my life when I have that excitement again. But it's a different kind of excitement as I get older. I will say it's a different kind of excitement as I get older. I am very grounded in my life. I mean, I spend a lot of time also because that's my investment in myself. I have more time. I spend more time outdoors. I ground and I actually earth. I take off my shoes and I'm naked and I'm sometimes naked outside and naked on beaches. But the idea that I know my body and I ground into it, I don't have the same like, it's just not as intense. So it's, no. it's much more sensual for me. And it's that journey as I age that if someone's with me needs to be tuned into that. Oh, completely. I feel exactly the same way. I'm quite relieved, actually, that I don't feel the way that I did before because it was it was pretty exhausting. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder that, I wonder if that's the same for men, though, because obviously there's not a menopause, um, but there is a midlife crisis, and um, I, I often think that men are, are, are trying to get back to that sense of virility and youth that they had in their twenties, and they're they tried to do it in their 50s and 60s, and often it is quite ridiculous and laughable, really, to, to watch them doing it. But um, but maybe opening opening up a relationship is something which is which is the possible you know, offers the possibility of doing that. But um, you're always talking about a minority, a really small minority of people that do that. And maybe, maybe not around where you live and maybe not here in London, but certainly outside the sort of major metropolitan centres. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a million miles from people's conceptions of, of family and love and, and, and togetherness, really. Well, it is. it has been a million miles, but so many things have shifted in the universe with gender and sexuality and fluidity that mm-hmm. I see this as a spectrum as well. If you're not too caught up in the shame of religion, people who have too much shame will never be able to do that. Because, it, but, but the question is, how do you how do you question the shame yeah. that sometimes that imposes on you, and is that working for you? That's always a thing to ask. Am I feeling fulfilled in my life? I have this one precious life. What are you going to do with this one precious life? So for men as well, if they want to, you know, get silly about it, have to buy big cars and have hot blonde young chicks tall chicks try to be with i think it's ridiculous yet 
I think if men are in touch with themselves, and I have a few men that I've coached and a few men that I'm with that are much more about not knowing how to contain. I mean, if you do any kind of study on Tantra, for example, you'll know how to contain that and how to use that energy in new ways. So it comes from a maturity as well. And yes, the new relationship or excitement of flirting can still be part of that. And that's fun. It's still fun because we can still be young and flirty and fun until we're 100. I I actually teach a centenarian class on mindfulness and movement. And they are so adorable. And they move with me. And they can like all of a sudden feel alive again and a little flirty again. So all I can say is it is, and I'm talking about men too. And they flirt with me. And I think it's it's like, of course. Good. I'm glad you are. And so it's, but they don't do it in a way that's obnoxious because, well, they know their boundaries with me and I communicate that well. So I can be nice to them and, and I can be nice to a man that, you know, even if he's not feeling his own embodiment, you know, the questioning of saying, what's really going on for you? Do you have to, is this, is this really working for you? This out of body consumer reach for more and for younger and for bigger, and for shinier. It's like, is that really helping you wisen your, in your body? Well, that is a kind of social reflection, isn't it? You, the values that society is pushing at you are that, you know, they become reflected in that sort of uh, very patriarchal masculine behavior in many ways. Mm. And do you think that this um, move towards polyamory is and 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 opening up relationships is is more a female than a male driven thing do i think the males lead it no i think women lead it a lot no yeah, that's what i'm saying yeah. is it led by women i think so if you read tammy nelson's book i think there i think it she really discusses the statistics and it's really growing actually in our age. I'm surprised, but there's since the pandemic, a lot more questioning about this. There was people were mm. stuck home and they're like, is this all there is? It was a lot of re-questioning of midlife. And I think it's so important for people to be questioning and getting rid of all their assumptions. I mean, all that status quo of what we were structured to do and know and, 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 and going into the mystery of life. So the mystery is not a, is not an obviously a safe place for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And yet finding the people you can communicate with around, you know, there are many poly kind of communities or people that you can listen to podcasts about and understand what those questions are. And Tammy's book, Open Monogamy, actually guides you with imago therapy to ask each other the questions of what you're able and ready to do. It gives you a real step-by-step guidance. So that's, that's a very great helpful. because, you know, one of the things that I find challenging is the fact that until you've just mentioned this book, I've always thought there's really no rule book for this. It's just it feels a lot like you're, you know, swimming around, casting around in the dark and you're not, you know, you don't really know where you are all the time. Like you say, a lot of emotions and things like that come up. I mean, I do think that um, just slightly off tangent, but you mentioned it earlier is apps like Field, which, you know, I've joined, are really interesting in terms of people being able to put out there their desires, even if most of them, it seems to me anyway, um, might still just be more fantasy driven than actually things people want to take out into the real life. But I just think the fact that we're now looking at this niche of dating in this way and making it 
available for people who are considering it and who might not have been in the lifestyle, want to be in the lifestyle or thinking about the lifestyle, whatever, is a move in the right direction. Because before then, you know, you had swinging sites and those are very specifically there's aimed a, there's at... There's another great one called Hashtag Open. We interview the founders of, and it's growing by leaps and bounds, and they do a ton of education online. Wow. So Hashtag Open is another one. And, you know, the other thing I was going to say, I don't know if we have that much time today, is is it, it brought up that as we get older, like, the, the we, we limit ourselves as we become ageist to ourselves. Yeah. So we don't think that we can get on a dating app and say our, our age, mm. right? It's a huge issue. And I, I mean, I did, I was right out there. I'm 60. This is me. And I, and, and, but look, being a polyamorous woman already in, in, in monogamy, on a re, open monogamy makes it easier for me. And yet I had such nice responses from the kind of people I feel like I put my energy out to find. Yeah. So I would say it's still, it's still a stigma, the age thing on dating apps. And yet mm. it's so important for us to be models to overcome that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. That is a great place to end, Hessa. Thanks so much. I have so many more questions, but yeah, we, we yeah, we, we've done the half now. <laughs> <laughs> we always try to limit it to about thirty, thirty-five minutes, and it's been such a great, it's so, so great chatting with you because it's a, it's a subject that I'm constantly thinking about, and yeah, you know, slightly struggling with, but but more because I want to make it work more than I don't, you know? Um, and I think it requires energy and, and, and thoughtfulness and mindfulness, if you want to call it that. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you.